Okay, welcome into this episode of Mythic Existence. Today we are going to be talking about monsters in Lore of the Rings. We're going to dive into the deep lore of Tolkien's Legendarium, which stretches back to the creation of Arda through the Song of the Ainur, straight through to the War of the Rings. We'll try and determine where these beings came from in myth and what function they serve. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode. So, I've been reading Lord of the Rings a lot recently, as well as the Silmarillion, uh, which is always a word I struggle with, so bear with me when I say it. Um, but, so far, I've, I've read The Fellowship, I'm almost done with The Two Towers. Um, if you've never read them before, which this is my first read-through of all three of them, I read The Fellowship when I was in elementary school. Um, at least I think I got through it. Um, but then, you know, every book is kind of split into two books. Um, it's book one, book two, book three, and book four. That's what comprises the Fellowship of the Rings and the Two Towers. Um, I, I was kind of struck by in the Two Towers that Frodo doesn't appear until book four so in the first half of the two towers frodo and sam are completely not there so i feel like there's a real focus on frodo in the movies and his importance but to me the i i really love um you know basically the story of uh aragorn and and gandalf and um all of those characters so the silmarillion if you're not familiar is basically like the creation myth of Lord of the Rings, um, or at least of, of Middle-earth itself. And so the Silmarillion really tells the story of uh, the creation of the world and the creation of all of the races, and it's just a giant history. That one reads like a straight-up historical document, um, and it's very long, so I've been working my way through that. But I've been doing a lot of reading um, just on internet pages and watching some YouTube videos of that sort of stuff as well. So anyway, I thought that a Lord of the Rings episode would be really, really interesting. And, you know, I'm calling it Tolkien's Monsters, but as we've discussed in previous episode about monsters and monstrosity, defining monstrosity is difficult. Um, it's all about, you know, whose perspective and who is defining the monsters uh as we said monsters are always defined by what's not monstrous so uh, maybe creatures would be a better word um because on this episode we're going to be talking about uh barrow whites orcs ants and the giant spiders there are so many monsters and creatures in tolkien's work that uh i can't cover all of them in one episode and it was just kind of pick and choose which ones i felt like doing so this is going to be part one. Who knows how many parts this could be. Um, the next episode, I would really like to cover stuff like Balrogs and Ring Wraiths and Nazgûls. But for this episode, I felt like um, this would be a good starting point just because uh, Barrow Whites are the first thing that really comes up in uh, the Fellowship of the Rings, but it's not covered 
in the movie. So that's one of the major omissions. Um, so yeah, let's get into the discussion of the Barrow Whites. Basically, they appear at the start of the Fellowship of the Ring. Maybe they maybe they actually appear after the Ring Wraiths. Uh, I can't quite remember what the order is. So maybe I'm wrong in saying that they're first. But basically, um, the Barrow Whites are located in what's called the Barrow Downs. And that is beyond the Brandywine River and beyond the Old Forest. And the Barrow Downs are basically a, a series of burial mounds for uh, men of old, essentially. And what Barrow Whites are is they're basically shape-shifting phantoms with dark black robes. And they have voices that are horrible and hypnotic and they have skeletal hands and bodies. And so if you've ever played Skyrim, these creatures are based off of Draugr's. Uh, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly from old Norse mythology who are basically evil spirits that inhabit, uh, burial chambers. So in, uh, in Skyrim, there's these things called Draugr's, which they don't have the, like barrel whites usually have like capes i think uh, the, those dark black robes basically it's not how they are in skyrim but that's how they are in tolkien so yeah they're based off of these um yeah evil spirits that in, inhabit burial chambers from norse mythology and that's one thing that we're going to be talking about is that um tolkien always has some kind of classical origin for a lot of his stuff and it's it's what's really interesting about his work uh if you don't know a lot about him i mean tolkien was a scholar and an academic and uh an expert on language and on mythology itself especially norse mythology and um like british mythology or or folklore essentially so it's a perfect topic for this uh, channel. Basically, what happens um, is that the hobbits are abducted by the Barrow Whites and are taken down into one of their tombs, and they're bound and are going to be sacrificed. But they're susceptible to strong incantations, and in particular, they are susceptible to Tom Bombadil's song. And so Tom Bombadil is a really strange guy in Lord of the Rings. And again, he's not in the Fellowship of the Rings. But he's uh, a dude. He lives in the Old Forest. And Frodo and his companions, they uh, encounter him. And he's he's not a bad person. He's not a good person. He comes off as being good, but he doesn't. he's kind of like above the good and evil um, kind of like war or um, tribulations in middle earth and he calls himself the eldest that that's what he says and he says he remembers the first raindrop and the first acorn so i mean a lot of people that are interested in lord of the rings i think don't really know a lot about the creation of the world uh and tolkien actually coined a term called mythopoeia for making his mythic world essentially um and he has this whole insane backstory and creation myth um 
so the quick and short of that is that basically there was this being called Iluvatar that wanted to, um, you know, sing a world and or create a world into existence, and he created a uh, a bunch of beings that sung the world into existence, and Middle Earth is takes place on a planet called Arda, and so. Uh, Basically, he said that he's he remembers when rain and the forests were made. Tom Bombadil does, and he also says that he came before the Dark Lord Melkor, and um, so Melkor is one of the Valar. Um, if I'm getting that correctly, there's there's Valar, Maiar, and Ainur, and I I sometimes get them <laughs> confused, but Melkor was one of the highest beings created by Iluvatar, but Melkor ended up turning evil. Uh, and Melkor is actually where all of the evil in Arda and Middle-earth comes from. So he's he's the ultimate evil. It's not really, it's not Sauron. Uh, Melkor is, is the ultimate evil in Middle-earth. And it's also possible that uh, Tom Bombadil had been there before uh, the Valar and the, uh, I mean, he, he's really ancient basically. And it's unclear exactly what he is. Um, a lot of people speculate on who he is. Some say that he's actually the song of the Ainur come to middle earth as a being, or that he might be a Luvatar himself. I don't know what to believe. He might, he might just be, this really old guy, but he's not like old and decrepit. He's pretty young and youthful actually. So anyway, they're freed by the song of Tom Bombadil. Um, the history of the Barrow Whites is kind of interesting. Um, they were sent by the witch king of Angmar to uh, keep the Dunedain of Cardolan from resettling the area after they had been wiped out by the plague. Um, it's also possible, some people speculate, that the Witch King had visited the Barrow Downs searching for Frodo, and he was the one that roused the Barrow Whites to uh, abduct them. Uh, Tolkien says that originally there was a connection between the Barrow Whites and the Ringwraiths. They're kind of reminiscent of each other. And they're, they're kind of almost a mixture of the Dragor and vampires because they have an aversion to sun. And that's kind of a recurrent theme, as we shall see, of kind of evil entities. And the sun goes back to the two trees of Valinor, which are some of the most important things in Middle-earth. Uh, we'll cover that later once we get to our discussion of the giant spiders. So that's it for the Barrow Whites. Uh, next, we're going to talk about the orcs. We all know the orcs. They're very, very prominent. Um, is that even a word, prominent? I feel like when I say that, prevalent, prominent, whatever. Um, they're very prevalent in the movies, the Peter Jackson movies, as well as the, the movies from the 70s, the animated ones. They look different. Uh, basically, they were created by Morgoth, who is the other name for Melkor. Uh, Melkor was originally his name, and then 
Morgoth is what he became when he decided to turn evil. So uh, basically how they were created was Melkor kidnapped some elves and tortured them. And he tortured them so bad that they became the first of the orcs. And that's kind of another recurrent theme that we're going to see is some of the evil creatures being almost uh, a simulacra of uh, one of the the better creatures, I guess you could say, on Middle-earth. They lived in subterranean lairs with fallen Maiar and other servants of Melkor. And what Maiar are, say that five times fast, well, actually, that might be hard, but what the Maiar are, are primordial spirits that were created to help the Valar shape the world. And five of the Maiar actually became wizards. So, um, you know, Gandalf... Saruman, Radagast, and the Blue Wizards are the five Maiar. And so Gandalf himself is a very ancient and very powerful being in the whole uh, history and realm of Arda. The orcs came under control of Saruman, as we can see during the Lord of the Rings movies, Saruman is ordering them around from Orthanc and Isengard. Some notable things in the history of the orcs, they were strengthened when Sauron returned to Dol Guldur. And if you are not familiar, Dol Guldur is the ancient castle that uh, Sauron inhabited as the necromancer that is in The Hobbit. Uh, there came a new race of orcs called the Black Uruks. Saruman created the race of Urukai, which were are the the bigger, stronger, more dominant orcs. Following the abandonment of Khazad-dûm, the orcs colonized the hills and killed King Thror. And Thror was the the dwarven king, who uh, was the the father of Thorin Oakenshield, I believe. And Kaza Doom is inside of the Mines of Moria. That is where Gandalf fights with the Balrog. And even as I'm talking, you can see just how deep the history Tolkien created is. It's really, really amazing. Some of the origins of orcs. In Old English, orc means demon. And in Tolkien's language, it's essentially meant to mean bogeyman. And mythologically, uh, the term Orkneas is used in Beowulf. And Beowulf is one of the main sources for Lord of the Rings, especially The Hobbit, I would say, with Smaug and the dragon and everything, the going to slay the monster or um, satiate the monster, I guess. Um, Tolkien was one of the, the biggest scholars of Beowulf, actually. And so Orkneas is a term for monsters there. Like I said, in the Old English, orc means demon or even ogre. They seem to be related. And there was a, a god of the underworld called Orcus. One of the main orcs in the Fellowship of the Ring, or er, I guess it's the Two Towers... 
trying, yeah, it's in the two towers is uh, Grishnok. You might remember him from uh, Lord of the Rings. He's kind of the he's the orc that takes Merry and Pippin aside to kill them. And it goes a little bit differently in the book as opposed to the movie. They're not fighting over the if they're going to eat the hobbits when they escape, when Merry and Pippin escape. Instead, Merry and Pippin realize that Grishnok knows about the ring and that he thinks they have it. But what's interesting is that often t- one of the criticisms of Lord of the Rings has been that it's racist because the orcs are read as black people, especially in the Peter Jackson films. But out of the descriptions I've read, they never are explicitly described as being black. I could be missing a a description there. If you look at the seventies movies, they have blue skin. So, I would actually argue that they might be caricatures of German uh, infantrymen because, as we know, Tolkien was, you know, he fought in World War One, and obviously World War Two had happened by the time he wrote Lord of the Rings, um, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure they were written in the 50s, and um, Grishnok, to me, sounds like a German word. So that's kind of how I was reading them, actually. I think that there could be sort of an interesting inquiry to be done there. And uh, that's one of those words I can't say is in- inquiry. Inqui- I can't say it how most people do. So, um, But that's it for the orcs. Moving on to the ants. You'll remember ants as being the talking trees. They are basically spirits of the forest. They specifically inhabit Fangorn Forest. And, uh, of course, they are famous in the, the trilogy for basically harboring Merry and Pippin, kind of saving them, and Merry and Pippin getting them to take action against Saruman and they end up flooding Isengard and trapping Saruman in Orthanc. So they play a huge role in that regard. And of course that takes part that takes place during the Battle of Helm's Deep. Those two things are happening um, at the same time. Gandalf is riding on Shadowfax, going from one place to the next, you know, ensuring that both of those victories are to be had. Treebeard is probably the most famous of the Ents, and he is actually Fangorn. So there's, uh, I, I believe in in the Elvish tongue, Treebeard is his name, but Fangorn is his name in the Entish language, if I'm not mistaken. I love the names for the Ents. Quickbeam is another one of the... Uh, more famous Ents who uh, decides not to take part in the entire Entmoot, which is what they're uh, basically meeting to discuss if they should take action against Saruman was called. Quickbeam was young and uh, not as deliberate and slow as the other Ents. Their Entmoot took like three days, I think, to go, and I really like the descriptions of how they speak 
and how they communicate. It's described as kind of a hum or a sound, kind of like a song that fills the valley. It's said that the elves actually taught the Ents how to speak. And the Ents originally were created through the music of the Ainur at the behest of Yvonna, who was the queen of the Valar. She really wanted something to be able to speak for the land, and that ended up being the Ents. Morgoth slash Melkor created trolls as imitations to Ents. So similarly how orcs are made in the image of uh, the elves, basically, so are trolls made in the image of the Ents, but just um, kind of a more evil version. And it's kind of how just as Tolkien is creating new creatures from the old, so is Morgoth, but just in a more nefarious way, you could say. There used to be Entwives, is what they're called, um, wives of the Ents, but they left and they couldn't find them. So there, there can't be any new Ents until the Ents and the Ent wives are, um, you know, found or once they find each other. After the War of the Ring, they are gifted Nankurunir, um, which is the, the realm that Orthanc and Isengard are located inside of. Actually, in the original Anglo-Saxon, Ent means giant. So Ents are actually uh, a new kind of species and character in the folkloric tradition of giants. So they're in that in that way, in that sense of the word, they're one of the staples of fantasy and folklore, alongside wizards and princesses and trolls and stuff like that but Tolkien made a new fresh way for them to exist which is something that I really like okay our final discussion is going to be about Shelob and giant spiders so Shelob of course is a giant spider that lives in Morador Golem tricks Frodo and Sam into going into its lair and Shelob is actually an offspring of a being called Ungoliant, which is one of the major um, antagonists of the first two ages, the, the Silmarillion ages. Basically, Ungoliant was a force of darkness that was not even known to the Valar. And once Melkor is defeated... Ungoliant flees and takes the form of a spider and it was kind of similar to the spider in it um i mean if you know kind of the deep lore of it which is another fandom that i belong to um when pennywise takes the form of the clown that's just kind of one one of his new iterations and uh Pennywise is actually one of the most ancient dark sources in the universe that comes to Earth during the time of the dinosaurs and lives on uh, in multiple different iterations. But its ultimate form, at least to humans, is that of a spider. So that's kind of how Ungoliant is as well. I don't know if Stephen King used that lore to create it, but it's, you know, it's possible, but it's an interesting coincidence. What happens is Melkor seeks Ungoliant out and gets her to attack the trees of 
Valinor and to poison them and drink their sap. So the the trees of Valinor are two of the most important uh, basically things in Middle Earth before you know the time that we're used to uh, uh, starting with the Hobbit. Again, this is the time of like the Silmarils, this is the first age. And basically they're sources of light, primordial sources of light. And when they're destroyed, they actually create the sun and moon. So that's what I was kind of referring to earlier is that the Barrow Whites are um, averse to the sun, but Golem is actually afraid of the sun and the moon. I'm not sure if there's a connection between the ring and that, the ring and the sun, the moon and the trees of the Valinor, but those are some of the uh, very important things to know about just in the, you know, the whole Middle Earth story. And basically, Ungoliant, after the after Ungoliant does this, she wants the Silmarils from Morgoth, and he refuses to give them. So what the Silmarils are, are their, their three gems crafted by Feanor that hold the essence of the trees of the Valinor. And so they are the most important things alongside the trees of the Valinor in the olden days. And it's said that the fate of Arda was weaved in the jewels. Those were the, the Silmarils are what everybody was fighting for originally. That's where the name the Silmarillion comes from. And when Ungoliant attacks Morgoth, the Balrogs that are under the control of Morgoth attack Ungoliant and cause her to flee. And so that's kind of the end of Ungoliant until she mates with the giant spiders in the place that she goes to. And eventually Shelob is one of her descendants. So mythologically, one of the most famous stories about spiders is that of Arachne from Greek mythology. She says that she's the best weaver, but Athena doesn't like that. And she holds a content, a contest, sorry, with Arachne to see who's the best weaver. And it actually turns out that Arachne is better. But Athena also don't, doesn't like that. And so Arachne hangs herself. But as Athena is horrified by this, she turns Arachne's rope into cobweb and turns Arachne into a spider so that Arachne can weave her tapestries forever. So that's kind of just a mythological origin for you know, the giant spider that also appears in stories like Harry Potter. So that's it for today's episode. Tolkien's Legendarium is filled with creatures that have been existing in myth and folklore from time immemorial. His ability to take recognizable figures like giants and turn them into Ents is one thing that keeps readers coming back. We'll have another episode in the future featuring creatures like Balrogs, Nazgûls, and Ringwraiths. But clearly, the story of Middle-earth is deeply intertwined, so you can't talk about one thing without talking about another. Thanks for listening. See you next time.